last time we were together, we talked about Jonah and, and, and the fact that he was a man on the run. And we looked at two chapters. We just looked at two chapters. And uh, we're going to look at the next two chapters today, chapter 3 and 4. Jonah, the book of Jonah is interesting. It's only four chapters, 48 verses. And packed into those four chapters and 48 verses is a lot of story. A man named Jonah that was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And uh, he was to do one thing, give a simple message to the people, a very short, powerful message that you got 40 days to get your life right. And if you don't get your life right, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to destroy all the cattle, all the livestock, no matter what kind it is. I'm going to destroy every man, woman, and child. And that seems brutal. But if the reality is we serve a passionate God, but not a passive God. So he's not going to tolerate things in our lives that are not right. I'm not saying he's going to destroy us like Nineveh, but he's going to get our attention in some shape, form, or fashion. I just want you to be aware of that. And so Jonah is thinking to himself, as we talked about last week, there is no way that I'm going to Nineveh. So he made a decision to go to Joppa, get on a boat, and head to Tosh, uh, Tarshish. I almost got that out wrong. Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. And then he realized that I can run from God's will, but I can't run from God's face. Yeah. The reality is he's, an, he's a God that's ever-present. And we can feel that sometimes, feel sometimes that we're getting away from God and God can't see what's going on in our life. But the reality is he's omnipresent. He sees where we're at and what we're going through, whether it be good or bad. And so he's running from the will of God. And then these pagan sailors made a decision after Jonah spills the beans and explains to them, I'm running from God, the true and living God that created the dry sea I mean, excuse me, the dry land. I'm all over the place today. The dry land in the sea. You can tell I'm ready to go. Ready to go to Florida on Tuesday. My luck at this point, I'm going to get ate by a shark. I've been watching all these shark documentaries, and I'm scared to death to even get in the water. So my wife's going to be like, what are you doing? Just standing there drinking your coffee instead of getting in the water. I'm going to be freaked out, but I need to get past that. So my mind is elsewhere. But I think about Jonah. And the fact that it wasn't a shark, the Bible says it was a large fish. We believe it was a whale that swallowed him up when he was cast out of the ship. Because the men, the sailors, made a decision that this was the only way to resolve the sea that's raging. Because this man is running from the God that created the dry land and the sea. And we need to get him out of our boat. And some of you got some Jonas in your life. And you get him out of your life. Because things aren't looking very good. Y'all with me? Yes, sir. And so that great fish swallowed Jonah up and he spewed him out three days later on dry land. And I believe it was Nineveh. And that's where we are today. We're in chapter 3. And so let's take a moment and pray because I need it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for the message today, Lord, that you'll speak through us. Use me for your honor and your glory and help us to understand the importance of not running from your will, but doing it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody with me? Yes, sir. We ready to go? Yep. It's interesting that Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days. And then when he ended up in Nineveh, the Bible says it takes three days to go through the city of Nineveh. That's how big the city was. So he had three days in the belly of a whale to really think on his position 
as a prophet and he and the fact that he was running from the living God that commissioned him to go to Nineveh. I do not believe he repented, but I do believe that he remembered his calling and he was willing to do it because he didn't want to get into any more circumstances like he was already in. So when he was spewed out on the dry land, he made a decision at that moment to do God's will. So Jonah chapter 3 begins the same way Jonah chapter 1 began, except this is round 2. In Jonah chapter 1, it started with Jonah's rebellion, but Jonah rose up and fled. In Jonah chapter 3, it starts off with obedience. Jonah rose up and went. He, he decided, I'm not going to have a repeat of what I've already been through. And so Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And in verse 2, he said, rise up and go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach to that great city and proclaim to them what do you want? What does God want them to know? That destruction was about to come and they needed to turn from their sin. So in verse 3, Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh and, according to, and did according to the word of the Lord. You know, it's so easy just to do God's will more than our will because when we do our will, things get difficult. I said this last week and I'll say it again. It was more difficult to run from the will of God than do the will of God. 2,500 miles out of route to do his will instead of God's will, which was only 250 miles the opposite way. I think in our lives, we too often find ourselves drifting in our own direction and losing out on what God has for us. And we think what we have and our plans are better than his. But God can use your life to do something miraculous Regardless if you agree with the message that God has for you, regardless if you agree with the God's will for you, God wants to do some amazing things through you. And you see that here in the book of Jonah. Now, the story gets interesting because we see a historical account that has never taken place since this day. Not that I'm aware of, especially in biblical history. The whole city of Nineveh, if we fast forward to chapter 4, repents of their sin and gets right with God. That has never happened before. And I know the reason why is because God had a plan for Nineveh. And God worked in a unique way through this man named Jonah to make his plan take place. But it all starts in chapter 3. Now, stay with me for just a second. Imagine this, a man that's just spewed out, out of the belly of a whale, onto dry land, what that man must have looked like and what he must have smelt like. I believe with all my heart the assets inside of that, the belly of the whale affected his skin, his body, his mentality, and he came out a different man. Physically and spiritually, obviously, he had a time with God. The Bible said he had thanksgiving with God. He gave praise to God. He made some decisions in the belly of the whale. And here he is on that dry land looking uniquely different. I know a, I know a biblical historian that said, said that he believed at that very moment when Noah stood up on that shore that his presence looked distinctly different. It was horrifying. And for him to step into that city and the way he looked and the message he had, people perked up. To see this wild man walk into the city out of nowhere and the smell and what he looked like and his skin died and proclaiming that this city has 40 days to turn from their ways and turn to God or God's going to destroy this city. I believe people began to listen. 
and they begin to pay attention. Now, for me and you, the reality is we can learn so much from this story. So much that I don't feel like Jonah actually learned. We'll get into that in chapter 4. Let's do this. Let's look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He's one day into the city. And he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The city's repentance begins to unfold. And it's brought by action. Now watch this in Jonah chapter 3 verse 5 and 6. So the people of Nineveh believed God. That's the key word there, believed. And, and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. And in the, from the greatest even to the least of them. And the reality was that everybody saw who God was through the man of God. And they began to realize that they needed to turn. In verse 6, from the, for the word that came through Jonah got to the king of Nineveh. And even the king himself took off his kingly garments and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Let me make sure you understand. This is very important for you to understand. When the Bible speaks of sackcloth and ashes, it's speaking of the fact that people get to the point when they put on the sackcloth and the ashes, it's speaking of remorse and repentance, that they remember where they came from. When they put that ash on, they're recalling that they are nothing more than, than the dirt. They come from nothing more than the dirt of the ground. When they put on the uh, sackcloth, it was very symbolic outwardly to show that they are being repentive. Often it was black goat hair that, that was used to make a garment. It was rough and uncomfortable and a constant reminder that when you live in sin, it's dark and unpleasant and it should be uncomfortable. Yeah. And when they put the ash on their head, it was to remind them that you've come from nothing. And without God, you are nothing because we came from the dirt of the ground. And so from the greatest to the least, from the rich to the poor, they begin to repent and turn. So we see the city's repentance and it brought action. And so let me remind you of this. I believe when you truly make a decision for God, there's going to be action. Too often I thought that I repented of my sins, but there was no action. Yeah. Faith without works is dead. I've met too many people who say, man, I am so upset about what I've done. I, I want to get this right. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to turn from it. By the way, repentance means turning from the direction you're going. And then two days later, they're right back into what they were in. I'm telling you, there's a reality when it comes to repentance. And that reality is this. It should bring action. And so we see this action taking place in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. But it also brought some change. The Bible says in verse 7 and, and it, that it, the word got to the king. And not from just the least, but to the greatest. And the king took off his kingly garments and he put on sackcloth and he covered himself with ashes. And he made a decision. The Bible says that he made a proclamation that we are going to cry out to the mighty God. We're going to turn from our direction and go his direction. And, and then he goes a little further and he says, every one of us are going to turn from our evil way and the violence that is in our hands. I mean, the things that we're doing have to change. Now watch this. Pay attention, please. They were the most vile people at this period of time. 
I told you last week that there's a chance that Jonah didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh because they would line their streets with poles and the heads of people on top of those poles. They'd skin people alive. They couldn't just dominate a land. They had to dominate the land, take the people, torture them, and make an example out of them. But the king says, we're not going to do that anymore. If we're going to repent, we're going to not take action, not just take action, but we're going to change so the repentance brought a change. He said, we will no longer be those vile, evil people. We are going to change. And so they made a decision to quit going in the direction that was evil, to quit having um, these, to clear the torture houses out of the people that have been in captivity and stop doing the things that they've been doing. And I love this. Turn, the verse, verse 9 says that they'll turn and repent and turn so that they can appease the angry God. Now I'm paraphrasing, but let me say this. I believe with all my heart that we have become so passive as Christians that we think that Jesus loves us and accepts whatever we do and it doesn't matter to him. We can live whatever way we want. But Paul says, God forbid that we live any longer therein. Here's the reality. Jesus loves us. And it doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done. He's willing to forgive us. But when we repent of our sins and become a child of God, he wants us to realize every single day the importance of keeping that relationship right and be intentional about changing the direction we're going, taking action and going in a different direction. And I'm going to tell you this. I know it's not popular to say this, but I believe that if we're not careful, we are going to experience the hand of God in our life in a way that we do not want to experience because God will do whatever it takes to get your attention to wake you up. And I'm not going to say it's going to be like Nineveh, but I will say that God works in mysterious ways. And if we do not turn back to God and make it a point to make a decision to do God's will over our will, a change of mind, then we're going to have some things take place in our life that are not pleasant as children of God. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Let me just slow down for a minute. I struggle in this area of my own life. Can I just be transparent? Yeah. I feel like I'm going 100 miles per hour and my mind's not necessarily as clear as I want it to be. So I want to slow down. I want to be more personal at this point because in my life, I have found myself making some decisions that I didn't realize were affecting those around me. I didn't realize the consequences were not just in my life, but my family's life as well. You say, Dave, what did you do? <laughs> Calm down. It wasn't as severe as you're thinking. I'm just being personal right now. I'm just saying I'm as human as you are. Yeah. And when I've made those decisions and I could clearly see there was something not right in my life, and it might be through a podcast or through a message or maybe just reading God's word or the Holy Spirit reveals it to me, I had to repent. And I had to repent in such a way that it brings action and it brings change. But I've learned, and this is the point I wanted to get to, that not every time I repented was true repentance. I was just going through the motions. 
It's like kids that go to camp. They're all excited about church camp. We're going to church camp. And they repent and they get around the campfire and everybody's making decisions. Everybody's snotting and crying. Everybody's excited. They come home. They're on fire for Jesus. They stand up in front of the church and say, I just changed everything in my life. I got rid of things that I've been holding on to. And back in my day, you know, they'd bust out the cassette tapes that were wrong. Y'all don't, some of you don't even know what a cassette tape is. And they'd burn it. And now then, and then later on in my life, and when I became a senior, we were breaking up CDs that weren't pleasing to Jesus and we were throwing things away and dirty things and I saw guys bringing magazines don't know what kind but they were throwing them in the fire man they were all, they were making some changes right a decision repentance and not even three weeks later they're right back doing the same thing and I do it every day in just different ways little things that I say God help me I won't do this anymore I want to do this and I go right back to it how many are with me can we just be transparent y'all with me isn't it defeating? Isn't it overwhelming? Isn't it discouraging? Yeah. Yes. Well, let me give you some good news. I believe with all my heart the city repented. And that repentance brought action. It brought change. And as I read through the changes, their changes changed their direction from an evil way to a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. They quit worshiping false idols. They started worshiping God. They put sackcloth and ashes on to show outwardly that we are serious inwardly. From the king to the peasants. And there was a change in God's decision because of it. And according to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, because they were real with God, God changed his mind. You know, it's funny how people argue. God don't change his mind. God has changed his mind numerous times in scripture. Now, I don't understand that in its fullness because he is God. But I do know this. When we do God's will, He's going to give us blessings that he's been holding on to. And when you don't do God's will, God's going to continue holding on to those blessings because you were not willing to allow him to give them to you. Say, I'm allowing him, not when you continue therein. Yeah. Not when you continue to go in the wrong directions, which represents running from the face of God, a man on a run. Jonah, in this passage of scripture, is making a big decision to be a man on a mission. Now, this repentance of the city brought action, it brought change, it changed their direction, it changed God's decision. But something else that's very important to understand, the city's restoration, which is in the next chapter, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, we see it beginning with something very disturbing. The prophet, who's the preacher, he's ticked off. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why is Jonah mad? We just seen an incredible revival take place. We just saw real repentance. People that are truly getting right. There's change in their decision, in their direction. And God is making a move in this city that we've never seen before. Why would you be mad about this? And then he reveals why he's mad. Let me make sure you understand this. This restoration came with opposition. Anytime you make a decision for God, you're going to face some opposition. Yeah. It's sad that the opposition in this passage of Scripture is the preacher. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. This guy's crazy. So in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, we see that he's really upset with God and he just puts it all out there. He's venting. And we've, always, we've, we've all been at a place in our life where we've vented to God. But he vents in a unique way. He prays to the Lord and he says to him, I know that you... You are a very gracious, merciful God. You're slow to anger. You're great in your kindness. And, and, I, and you're willing 
to repent of the evil. In other words, turn from your decision and allow mercy to be placed. And I knew you were going to be that God. That's why I ran. He literally put it all out there for God. Not that God didn't even already know this, but he said, this is why I didn't want to do this because I knew that's the kind of God you are. And I don't like it. For a matter of fact, I'd rather be dead right now than watch this city have mercy, than watch this city experience the mercy of God. For a matter of fact, as you read this scripture, you see him over and over and over again saying, I wish you'd just kill me. You talk about a messed up guy. I mean, he's mad because he had to do the will of God. He's mad because people repented and got right with God. And he's mad because God ain't doing it his way. So he'd just rather be dead. How many times did we see in this passage of scripture or in, in the book of Jonah him say, just kill me. Just kill me. He even told the sailors, just kill me. Just throw me overboard. And so this guy is really messed up. And let me say this. Good people can sometimes be your greatest opposition in life. When you make a decision to repent and get things right, and you get that restoration with God, and God's restoring you, and things are happening in your life, sometimes the people you love are the ones that are going to be the, big, the biggest challenge in your life. And it's sad, but it's true. And often people get upset about other people getting right because they're not right themselves, and they're a little bit jealous of the changes that you're making in your own life. And so God asked this question at the end uh, of, uh, at the beginning of verse 4 in chapter 4. And the Lord asked the question, is it right for you to be angry? There's righteous anger, and that's acceptable. There's a right time to be upset. But what you're feeling and what you're going through right now, is this right? Is it right for you to be angry because I showed mercy on people that repented of their sins? Are you right for the feelings that you have right now? Of course, the answer is no, and he didn't answer the, the question. But let me ask you this question. In your life, in what you're dealing with, is the things and the circumstances you're experiencing, is it right for you to be angry with God over those things? Let me take a step further. Is the things in your life, are the things in your life that you're struggling with, that you're angry with God about, did you inflict them upon yourself? Because if you're not living for God and you're living for self and you're wondering, why are my finances falling apart? Why is my marriage or my relationship or my friendships? Or why are, or, and you can name a thousand things maybe. Why are these things going wrong? Maybe the question that you should be asking yourself is, is it because of me? And I'm getting angry with God saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you intervening for me? Why aren't you doing for me what I think you should be doing for me? When you should step back and say, maybe there's some things in my life that are not right. And because of that, because I'm angry and upset with God, I can't see the reality of my condition. See, what's so sad about the story of Jonah is the city was wicked and drifting away from God. And, and, and eventually they were completely away from God and worshiping false idols. But this man knew better. And now he's in a position that's so far from God. And he's angry with God and he's frustrated with God. But the reality is it's all because it was self-inflicted. He made these decisions. This is how far he goes. In chapter 4 and verse 4, he went to this east side of the city and he set up a little shack. And he sat there waiting for the destruction of the city. <laughs> Can you imagine this? 
This guy is going to sit for 40 days, or at this time, maybe 37 days, because he already preached for three days, and he's waiting for God to destroy the city. Maybe like God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He's just waiting for fire to fall from heaven. So he's sitting up there on a hill like a grumpy old man, and he's looking down at the city that God is restoring, and he's angry and he's upset, and he's waiting for God to destroy them. And then God does something very interesting. You see, the city's restoration is facing opposition specifically because of this man. But also, there's provision. And I love this because there's a lesson to be learned for Jonah and the city. And this provision came in a unique way. He's sitting there thinking to himself, is this really what God should do for this city? And while he's sitting there, the sun gets hot. And God makes a decision to allow a plant to grow. This is so unique. There's so much in 48 verses. And this plant grows, the Bible calls it a gourd, and it grows very large. And it provides shade for him. And he sits under there and he's so happy. It's funny that he got happy over the shade of a gourd, but he was angry because God was going to spare a whole city. And he just preached in such a way that brought a revival we've never seen in history. And so in chapter 4 and verse 6, the Lord prepared the, uh, this gourd and made it come over jo uh, uh, Jonah. And Jonah's resting under this gourd. And he's still moping. He's still upset. And through that, God begins to teach him a lesson. God provides a lesson not just for the people of Nineveh, but also for Jonah. He goes from a whale, and now he's learning from a worm. And so the next day, he's sitting under there, and this gourd starts to, <laughs> to die. Because there's a worm that God spoke to and says, I want you to kill that gourd. And so the gourd begins to wither away. And Jonah gets mad again. I cannot believe it. And not only that, God sends an east wind, a hot wind. And, 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 and the sun begins to, 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 to just really, like we've been experiencing for the last three weeks, just really uh, roast him right there on the side of the hill. And he begins to get angry again with God to the point he said, I'd rather die than live in verse 8. And then God gets to the point. He, he's bringing a lesson to this man. God says to Jonah, are you right to be angry with me? Are you right to be angry about the gourd? Question, is this okay? Because you think that it's okay to be upset about the death of a gourd that's providing shade for you, but you don't see the problem with destroying 120,000 people. You, my friend, God didn't say this, but you, my friend, are messed up. There's a lesson to be learned here, but I don't think you're catching on that I am the God that restored this city and you were the opposition to the city, but I still provided mercy to the city because I spared the city. And the Bible makes that very clear that God spared this 120,000 people, but God through it all also was trying to provide a lesson for Jonah to understand that what he was doing was wrong what he was thinking was not right, but Jonah through it all did not catch on to God's lesson. Now let me finish with this. Jonah chapter 1 verse 10, God prepared a whale. Jonah 4 verse 6, God prepared a gourd. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 7, God prepared a worm. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 8, God prepared a scorching wind. And through all that preparation to change the mind and the heart of a man that was not right, nothing ever 
changed. Mm -hmm. For a matter of fact, we don't ever, we never read in scripture because the, the last passage of scripture just is God reprimanding the man and asking this question, are you right? But in the end, we don't know if the man ever changed. So what's the point of the 48 verses in the four chapters of the book of Jonah? The point is simply this, are you Jonah? Because you're the only one that can truly make the decision to change. We can't make the decision for Jonah. And we don't even know if he made the decision. But we can make a decision in our own life. We can decide if we want to make some changes by simply repenting and taking action and changing our direction. And not only that, our mind and our heart. And then that restoration will take place regardless of the opposition that we face. We know that God is going to restore us if we're willing to repent of our sin. And God is going to provide for us and we're going to learn through it. And the lesson that was taught to Jonah was not learned. And in the end, Jonah was still an angry, bitter prophet. But my question for you is, where are you? What is your life and where are you with the Lord? I, um, I've had my ups and downs, and you have too. I've made decisions for God, and I've kept them for a long period of time, and then I failed. I know I'm a man on a mission, and I don't want to be the man on the run. But while I'm doing the mission of God, I struggle. The question is, am I going to settle? And the question is the same for you. Are you going to get up and move on and press on for God? Or are you going to settle and be the guy on the side of the east side of, the, of Nineveh that's going to pout and complain and be the opposition to everything God is trying to do?